Our scripture this morning, as we continue through the Gospel of John, you'll find in chapter 10, and we're going to begin this morning with verse 22 and read through verse 42. Follow along on the screen, or if you have your Bible or want to grab one of those pew Bibles, we'd love to have you do that. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were gathered around him, who were there, gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I have said you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why, then, do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, Believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I in the Father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. And Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. May God add his blessing to the reading of this word. Let us be in prayer for our pastor. Dear Lord, we thank you for these words which remind us once again who it is that we belong to and why. And Lord, we thank you for the many ways in which you show that to us, that you remind us. But most of all, we we just thank you for your abiding love and presence in our lives. As Pastor Keith comes forward this morning to share the message that you've given him, we just pray that we will hear it and receive it with open minds and open hearts, and that your truth will reside in our hearts and live there. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. 
it's lots of, lots of celebrate going on right now with weddings and different things that are happening. And, and uh, did, you told them where Pastor Mike was, right? Oh, okay. <laughs> Pastor Mike, uh, he celebrated a wedding for, um, for Ashley Cudworth yesterday. And I think they got married over by Indianola at Simpson College around there. And then from there, Pastor Mike got to go to uh, where he is right now. He's in Des Moines where his daughter, Sarah, and son-in-law, Cam, you guys know Sam, Cam and Sarah, they have started a church in Des Moines. So they planted this church, and it actually meets in a, in a bar downtown Des Moines. And they, they rent it out in, in, on Sunday mornings, and um, they have worship there, which is kind of cool. And so Pastor Mike and Teresa are able to go today and celebrate that and, and, be, and worship with their... With their uh, their son, son-in-law and daughter there, so we're, we're excited about that. Kind of cool. He'll be back, of course, at 3 o'clock for, for Kiboko's thing, and we're excited about that, too. And, I, you know, I know Vicky Price said something about that, but, I, I, again, I really want you guys to come to that today because not only are we celebrating um, Kiboko's ministry to, to our conference as, as our district superintendent, but, you know, Kiboko and his family, I see him sitting back there, uh, um, are, are part of our church now, and we want to come and celebrate that. So 3 o'clock. Let's come and, and, and worship. Now, this sermon today that I want to give to you, this, of course, is, um, comes on the heels of, of John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, which we spent two weeks in, where Jesus is talking about himself as the good shepherd, right? So he's giving a lot of this, this speech about, is speaking about what it means that he's the good shepherd. And my sheep hear my voice. They know me and I lead them and I follow them. I protect them. I laid down my life for the sheep. And he's saying this to the Pharisees, of course. Well, now this text here comes about two to three months after that. And this is during the winter, during the, the festival of dedication, which is Hanukkah. So we know it's during the winter. It tells us plainly that it was winter. And I don't know if you really know too much about what that festival's about, but I thought I'd tell you. It might help you to understand Jesus' words a little bit more. The festival of dedication celebrates the rededication of the Jewish temple in about 167 B.C. when there was a revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes, who was this evil emperor who came in, sacked the temple, and he performed horrible things in God's temple in Jerusalem. And he desecrated it and declared it would no longer be a house of worship for the Jews, but it would be something profane. And uh, there was a revolt by a man named Maccabees. And he got this group of people together and they led this revolt. <clears throat> they went in and they overthrew their enemies and took the temple back and they rededicated this temple. And there's this, this famous story of this miracle that occurred <clears throat> where when they went into the temple... They were going to uh, renew their, their worship, and they found, they found just enough oil inside the temple to light the candle for one day, and then they were going to be out of oil, and that candle miraculously burned for eight days, until just long enough for them to make more oil. So that's where that eight candles comes from, for eight, eight, eight days. So it's, and it was around that time, historically, where people were looking around going, okay, we just had this amazing victory here. We, were, we, we overthrew our oppressors. We got our temple back. You know, looking around, they're saying, okay, is this guy the Messiah? You know, is the Messiah nearby? We, we've, we've been delivered. And it reminded them, of course, of you know, when they were delivered from, from Egypt. So, so that, and of course, the Messiah hadn't been there yet, but that was what they were celebrating. 
So I'm sure there was continual talk among the people saying, well, what's the deal? You've heard of this Jesus of Nazareth. You've heard of this guy. He's claiming to be the Messiah. And others were saying, well, I don't know. Is he really? I mean, now you and I, we've been studying John's gospel for a while now. We've seen plenty of times where Jesus has declared who he is. And, but yet, here, here come the Jews and they say, okay, just tell us plainly. Are you the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Now, he had told them, and he even says to them, look, I told you, but you do not believe. Let me ask you something. How many times have you not believed something that you've been told plainly? Right? That's happened. That happens, right? You can tell somebody something plainly. You know, bring home milk. You can make that pretty plain. Didn't happen. You know, hey, our anniversary is next week. Don't forget. Been told plainly, right? I mean, there's plenty of things that we can be told plainly, but here's what, here's, what it, here's what the reality is. If you don't want to hear it, or you don't understand it, you can be told something plainly, and it can just go right over your head, right? Happens to me all the time, you know? You get stuff that's told plainly to you, maybe it comes in a letter and says, oh, you need to bring this thing when you bring your kid down to the DMV to get their license or whatever. Oh, well, I don't have that. Oh, well, we told you plainly, too bad, go away, you know? Life's full of things like that, and, and, and here's what, I've, what I'm learning and what I want us to understand. It's not about what we're told, it's about what we hear, okay? It's not about what we're told, it's about what we hear. Because you can be told all sorts of things, but if you don't hear it, it doesn't matter. Jesus had told these guys plainly many times, but that's not what they heard, okay? It's not what they believed, it's not what they received. And I want to talk about what that looks like today. You know, why do some people, when it comes to Jesus, why do some people believe and others don't? Have you ever thought about that question? Why do some people believe and others don't? Now, our default is going to be something like, well, maybe they haven't been told, right? Maybe they don't know about Jesus. But all these people heard. Jesus wasn't speaking to people who hadn't heard him. He said, look, I told you plainly, and you still don't believe. Why do people today Some believe and some don't. Now, I know a lot of us say, oh, well, if you're brought up in a Christian family, then you'll believe. If you grow up in America, then you believe. That's why some people believe, because of of where they were brought up or how they were raised or what they were told as kids or whatever. But if we dig a little bit deeper, I don't think it takes too long to find people who were brought up in the church that don't believe in Jesus. There's plenty of people who who were brought up being told about Jesus who were baptized, who were confirmed, who went to youth group, who maybe served on a committee or did whatever. Plenty of people who don't lack the knowledge, but they don't believe. And, And then there are others who have been told very little and didn't grow up with the benefit of of a a Christian upbringing or or parents who believed, or a church. And when they just even hear a little bit about Jesus, it's like, bam, they're instantly ready to to come to Christ. I've been in those situations too. It's awesome. You tell someone, oh, you know about, oh, what do I do? So why is it that some people believe and other people don't? It's a pretty interesting question. It's a pretty difficult thing. Now, Jesus has an answer. And his answer is simply this. You don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And the idea there is that they continually hear his voice. They continually 
follow him. You see, some people have this idea that being one of God's sheep is about something that you do when you're younger or a choice that you make once in your life or a box that you check at a revival service or a prayer you prayed at camp or something. And once you've done it, then you've done it. You know, some people think that it's about joining the church. You, you've heard the old joke, you know, how do you, get, how do you get rid of bats in the church attic? Make them members. You know, some people think, and, and, and the reason why that's kind of a running joke in, in a lot of churches is, is because people have this idea that once you join the church or once you join something, then you're done, right? You're done. You join God's flock, that's it. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? He says, my sheep continually hear my voice. They continually follow me. So why do some do that and others don't? Why are some his sheep and others not? Now, this is an age-old debate that I'm not going to solve for you here today. I'm not even going to try. But, you know, it's the debate between the whole idea of predestination or free will. And there are some Christians that believe that God is the one who decides who his sheep are going to be from before the foundations of the world, that God decrees these people are my sheep and these people are not my sheep, and that he's chosen who his sheep will be and chosen who, who won't be his sheep. And the reason why they can't believe is because they haven't been chosen by God. That's called like Calvinism, okay? Like the, that's, that's a reformed um, you know, understanding of, of, of the Scriptures. Well, then on the other side of that, is what's called Armenianism, okay? And these were named after people who, who lived a long time after these words were written, by the way. Um, Jesus didn't go, okay, well, I'm going to teach you some Calvinism today or, or whatever. He just taught. Um, the other side would say that, well, no, that everyone, that God doesn't decide, that everyone makes a choice and that everyone has the opportunity to decide and that it's whether you choose or not according to your free will, that defines whether you are going to become part of his sheep or not. Now, let me just say this, okay? As, as Methodist, our, our, our founder, John Wesley, was, was a well-known Armenian. He was very, that was, that was his, his, uh, his point of view. But I will say this. Both of those ideas, to a certain degree, are found in the Bible. So when you get in debates with people about that, and people are slinging scriptures at each other from across the, you know, the, 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 the debate on that, what you wind up doing, I've discovered, is you wind up pitting this group of scriptures against this group of scriptures. And, and what I've discovered is that, is that you really don't get too far by doing that. Because whatever, whoever is the better arguer usually ends up winning that debate. And that doesn't necessarily mean they were right. Because here's the truth. The problem isn't whether both things can be true at the same time. Because they're both in the Bible, really. There's scripture that talks about God's election in the Bible and God's choice and God choosing us. But there's also scripture in the Bible where, where we're called to respond and we're called to, to, to invitation. And we're, we see scriptures where, where God declares that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the truth. So, so you kind of step back and go, well, how does this jive? Well, let me just say this. Where, where God lives, it jives. Okay. Where we live, our brains go, does not compute. But the problem isn't that God is contradicting himself. The problem is that, you know, human beings just lack the dimension to understand that. And I'm okay with not understanding that, by the way, are you? I'm kind of okay with that because if I understood everything about how God worked and all that stuff, I'd be a little bit skeptical of whether I was worshiping the right God. 
If, if I could figure it all out, I, I don't know that I could believe it, you see. But this is one of those texts that people will quote oftentimes to say, well, see, God has decided who his sheep are. And, and I don't know, that might go a little bit too far with what this is saying, but here's what Jesus is saying. You don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. But he's not saying about how a person becomes a sheep. He's just stating the fact you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. Now, again, I'm not going to solve all of that. But what I will say is this. Here's what's for sure. And everyone would believe this, okay? Whether you're on one side or defense of the, of the other. God invites us all to respond. God invites the world to respond. John three sixteen, of course, you know this text. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So that says that anybody who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. It doesn't say, well, if this group of people over here believes, they won't because they're not his sheep. What he's saying is, no, whoever believes reveals that they are his sheep. But that invitation goes out to everybody. So that's for sure. What, what else is for sure is this. If you choose to believe in Jesus, you are one of his sheep. And his promises apply to you. Romans 10.9 says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, so that's for sure. That's for sure. If you believe, then you'll be saved. Now, let's talk about what this means, where he says that you are not one of my sheep. Now, it's, it's interesting because I, I have conversations with people, you know, every once in a while who struggle with this idea because we, we have this, this idea somehow that, you know, we're all God's children and everyone, aren't we all God's children, Pastor Keith? Isn't that true? You know, that we're all God's children. And my answer to that is, well, of course not. Do you think this world would look like it does if everyone in the world were God's children? Do you think it would? Because I don't. And and Jesus never said that, by the way. But again, it's not what you're told plainly, it's what you hear, right? And I've talked to plenty of people who've grown up in the church, believe in Jesus for a long time, and and have, have heard everything plainly, but still have this like idea that everyone who's ever born in the world is God's child. Let me tell you something. Everyone who's ever born in the world is God's creation. But there's a difference between being God's creation and being God's child. And the scripture is very clear about that. We, we read some of this a, a few weeks ago in John chapter 8. Look, look at what Jesus says to, to the Pharisees here who, who weren't believing what he was saying. And I know that's really small. I'll read it out loud for you. He says, why do you not understand what I'm saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You, because they were talking about, well, we're children of Abraham, we're children of this, we're children of God. And he's basically saying, no, you're not. You are children of the devil. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. So he's saying, by the way, to the Pharisees who thought they were the king of God's sheep, right? He's saying to them, no, you don't believe me because you're not God's children. You're the devil's children. And you listen to him and you do what he wants. 
There's a difference there. Later in his life, the same gospel writer John would write these words in 1 John 3, 9 and 10. He said, there's no one who was born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You see, make no mistake, not everyone who is born of this world is born a child of God. See, Jesus says you must be born again. There's a second birth, a new birth. And it, the scripture calls this like the adoption, that God adopts us into his family by his grace because of our faith in Jesus Christ. That's when we're brought into his family. Now, this doesn't mean that God doesn't love everybody. This doesn't mean that God doesn't love the whole world. I mean, you saw John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. So he loves the world and wants everyone in the world to become part of his family through, adop- through, through adoption by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith in him. But not everybody does. Some choose to follow Jesus and in doing so reveal that they are his sheep and others choose to reject him. Others say, I don't believe. And sometimes it's because they can't understand. Let me ask you a question. What do you think's first, the belief or the understanding? See, many times we think the understanding has to come before belief, don't we? Well, explain that to me and then I'll believe it. But that's not how it works with Jesus. That's not what faith is. Faith isn't believing in things that you understand. Okay, that wouldn't require faith. Faith is believing in things before you understand them. And sometimes it's believing in things that you will never understand. I don't understand the whole predestination free will thing and how that all jives together. But I believe that God is right. And I'm okay with that. I know that God loves everybody. I know that he's not willing that any should perish, but he wants everyone to come to to, to faith in him. But I also know that Jesus said to to some people, you can't believe because you're not my sheep. I know that, that, that God, he predestines those whom he foreknew and he conforms them to become like his son. See, sometimes our problem is that we expect to understand everything before we'll believe in it, and that's where we stop. And that's where a lot of people wind up with God, don't they? Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me, so I'm just shutting it down right there. I wrote a quote recently by, I think it was by C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to butcher this quote. But basically what he said was, you know, if, by, if, 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 if I wasn't a Christian, if I wasn't a believer in God, How could I even come to that conclusion? Because all I am then is a a mass of of accidental matter with with no reason or rhyme behind any of it, which means that my brain is merely collection of cells, which means that all thought originates from a meaningless, purposeless collection of cells. So how could I trust my own thoughts about anything in the universe? You see, sometimes our thinking gets us messed up. Jesus says, look, It's not about that. It's not about that. I love what he says to to Peter in Matthew 16. After Peter declares that he's the Messiah, Jesus says, look, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. 
my Father in heaven. And, and his idea, the idea is this. Look, this isn't an earthly thing that happens. This is a supernatural thing that happens for a person to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And it starts with God revealing himself, initiating, regenerating our hearts so that we can believe and understand, maybe someday, but believe right now. Now, what do you do if, if you're sitting here today and you're afraid that you're not one of his sheep? What do you do? You ever have thoughts like that? What if you're afraid that you're not one, that you're not one of his sheep? You ever, you ever lay awake at night and go, oh my gosh, what if, I'm, what if, what if God doesn't really love me? What if, what if I'm not really a Christian? What if I'm not really sincere in my faith? What if I don't have it all together? Well, guess what? You're not alone in that. Because probably every single person in this room <coughs> has wrestled with that a time or two, haven't we? Here's what I want to tell you to do. If you're, if you're afraid that you're not one of his sheep, then, then this is a simple thing that you can do. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. That's what Jesus says sheep do. Now, let me comfort you a little bit more here. If you're laying awake at night going, oh my gosh, do I, am I really a Christian? Do I really, am I really a sheep of God? Chances are you probably are. Because I don't think I've ever met too many people who didn't believe in Jesus that really cared about it all that much. I mean, non-sheep of Jesus don't lay awake at night going, am I a sheep of Jesus or not? They don't care. It's the last thing on their mind. They don't, you know, just like sometimes I'll have a student, they'll read the verse in the Bible that talks about the unforgivable sin. They'll be like, oh my gosh, Pastor Keith, when I was six, I did that. Is there any hope for me? You know? Like, if you, if you are worried that you committed the unforgivable sin, then that shows that you haven't, right? Because the unforgivable sin is, is not, you know, stealing from your parents or, or looking at something you shouldn't look at. The unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is denying the work of the Holy Spirit to bring you to Jesus. And once you've, if you've cut yourself off from that, then, then you don't have those thoughts of, what have I done? What have I done? You see? That shows the Holy Spirit working in you. So if you're afraid you're not one of his sheep, then guess what? Believe in Jesus and you are. There you go. If you're like, well, what if I haven't been chosen? What if I haven't been predestined? You know, that's not fair. Well, guess what? Believe in Jesus and you have been predestined. Believe in Jesus and you will have been chosen. You see how I'm talking about it in the future, but it's already done? That's how Jesus talks about it. Believe in Jesus and, 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 and there you go. So what if, what if this? What if you're afraid that, that, You've wandered away. If you feel like you were once a sheep but have wandered away, that's interesting, isn't it? Anybody ever been there? I, I have. You can look back on your life and you can say, yeah, okay, I know that I believed in Jesus. I know that that, that, that was important to me, but man, my life is just kind of zigged and zagged and I'm, I'm somewhere else and, and, and I don't feel part of a flock and I don't feel like the shepherd is around anymore. What do I do? What do I do? Well, here's what I'll tell you to do. Hear your shepherd's voice and return to the flock. A couple weeks ago, I shared that scripture with you where Jesus said, which of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered away, wouldn't leave the 99 and go find that little one who's wandered away? 
right? Because the 99 are going to be safe for a little while in their group, aren't they? Because they got safety in numbers. They're, they're, they're protected. But boy, that one little lost lamb out on, on their own, they're easy picking for, for wolves or for lions or for falling into a pit or something terrible. You know, that's a picture of us, isn't it? We do a lot better in our faith when we stay in the flock, don't we? When we stay together, when we're connected to each other in fellowship and community. We do a lot better when we are. It's, it's when we think that we don't need to stay in the sheep flock and we think we can kind of wander out on our own and go exploring. So we wander out and, and it's when we, when we separate ourselves from, from the rest of the flock that we become easy prey for the wolves of the world. For things that would hurt us and take us away. For, for depression or for discouragement or for sin. And what do we do? Just understand this. When we do that, our shepherd is out searching for us. He's not sitting back with the flock going, well, they know where we are. If they want to come back here, they know where to find us. It's not how it is, is it? It's not what the shepherd does. The good shepherd goes out and he searches. And when he finds that little lost lamb, the good shepherd scoops up that little lost lamb and he celebrates. He doesn't whack it with the stick and said, how dare you do that? Smacking it all the way home, beating it up pretty good, going, just wait till you get back to the rest of the flock. They've got something to tell you. You know, it's a good thing Jesus is better than us, isn't he? He scoops it up and he says, there's great rejoicing and celebration when he finds that little lost land. Now, let me tell you something. This isn't in the Bible, but this is just Keith here. I think it'd be easier for Jesus to find us sometimes if we let out a little bah once in a while, you know? Because I don't know if you've ever looked for something or someone and you can't find them, but that, there's a reason why you, you, you say their name 50 times so that you can hear them, so that you can hear them crying out. It makes it easier to find them, right? There's a reason why on your little iPhone, when you lose it, you can press that button and it says, it says play sound and it'll give you a little ding and you can go through your house and find it, Okay. Some of you are just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Um, It's awesome. I wish they made one for keys, okay? They probably do. Um, I'm going to get four emails. Hey, Pastor Keith, you can buy this thing. But, um, you know, sometimes when we're just out wandering, we just cry out to God, God, help me, I'm lost. You'd be amazed how fast God will scoop you up and bring you back. But you got to just let him. So if you've wandered away, then hear, hear the voice of your shepherd in return. Repentance means changing your thinking and turning around. That's what the call of the gospel is. Now, what if you are a sheep but feel afraid and hungry? You're in the flock. You haven't wandered away, but man, life is getting you down and you're, you're struggling and you're scared and you're feeling hungry. Just remember what the shepherd says. You're safe in his hands. Remember what Vicki said when she read these words of Jesus. That they're safe in my father's hands. No one can snatch them out. My sheep hear my voice continually. They follow me continually. And he says, and I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hands. 
Let me understand something. You are safe when you're with the shepherd and you're in the flock. It doesn't mean you won't be guided through some tough stuff, but it just means that you'll always have everything that you need. The shepherd has promised to protect you and has promised to feed you and has promised to lead you into life everlasting. You know, when David wrote those words in the 23rd Psalm, it didn't end on earth though, does it? He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He wasn't saying, and the shepherd will cause my earthly life to, to last forever and be perfect and awesome. He, he ends this passing from the valley of the shadow of death into this heavenly existence where he dwells in the house of the Lord forever. That's where the shepherd is leading us, by the way. That's where ultimately our destination is. So when we get there, when one whom we love gets there, we celebrate. Because they've been led into that pasture. They've been led there. And now they're with the Lord forever and ever. If you're afraid, if you're scared or hungry, remember what the shepherd's promise is to you. I've got just a couple minutes left, and I want to talk about this reaction that the Jews gave Jesus after he said these words. You know, he told them plainly, and what did they say? Okay, we heard you, now let's kill him. Doesn't sound like they were very open-minded to me, does it? You know, they, they weren't like, tell us plainly so we can hear and learn and understand, Jesus. They were basically saying, tell us plainly so we can have absolute concrete evidence that you blasphemed and claimed to be a god so we can kill you. That's exactly what happened. But Jesus, of course, knows what they're saying. So he comes back at them. Kind of an interesting comeback. And he quotes a psalm from 82. And, and he says, you know, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? <clears throat> little g. Now, some people read that and go, oh, wait a minute. You know, does that mean that we can become little gods? No, that's not what it's talking about. The, psalm 82, there's a word there used, and the word is Elohim. And the word oftentimes refers to the one true God, but other times it can refer to those who are acting on behalf of God. Um, and in, in Psalm 82, uh, God is, is speaking about the magistrates and the rulers that he's given his word to, and he calls them gods, basically little servants. And Jesus points out their scripture, says, hey, look, this is what this says. And, 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 and if I say I'm God's son, you're going to Tell me I'm blaspheming. And they said, no, we're not blaspheming. We're, we're not saying that. We're, what we're saying is you, I love this. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, what's interesting to me about that is this. Jesus was not a man making himself to be God as they were claiming. He was God who made himself to be man. They were so close, right? If they just would have flipped that understanding around, something would have clicked. But here's what Jesus said to him. He says, look, and he's pleading with them. He says, look, if you can't understand my words, that's okay. You can understand that a guy who couldn't see can now see, right? You can understand the, the miracle of the fish and the loaves. You can understand the healings that have taken place. You can understand the miracles that I've done. So if it's too much for you to intellectually plug all this together, then, then look at what I'm doing. Look at my life. That might help. You know, I think we find ourselves in the same situation in 2015, don't you? Because there are people that have already decided that you're the devil 
because you believe in Jesus, right? There are people in this world that hate Christians, that are convinced that Christians are evil, horrible, closed-minded, bigoted, hateful people because they're Christians, because of what they believe. But what I want to say is, okay, you can believe that based on what you think you understand, but look at our lives. Look at our lives. If someone looks at your life, is that going to make them rethink their belief about you and about Jesus? Or is it going to confirm it? It's important. The things that we say are important, but the things that we do oftentimes are more understood by the world. You know? I, I, I hear people all the time shouting out religious platitudes and preaching to people that have no clue what they're being told or what they're, what's being said, you know? I mean, you see the guys with the, you know, they're out speaking King James English to the crowds and, and everyone's like, I don't understand what that guy's even talking about. You know, it's like, what, what, what are you saying? You know, no one's understanding that. But they understand what you do with your life. So absolutely, believe, preach the gospel. But as Jesus said, look, look at the works and see what they do. You know, after he did that, he goes back to where John had been baptizing. And people were like, wow, we're getting it now. <clears throat> because John was the guy that prophesied that the Messiah would come and do all these great things. And they were seeing that. Maybe they didn't understand all the theology. Maybe they didn't understand all the, all the references to things in the Old Testament or whatever. But they saw <clears throat> what Jesus was doing. And it says there that many believed in him. Let's pray. Lord, I ask today that you would reveal to us, God, what it means to be your sheep. And that, Lord, we would put our faith in you. That we believe in you. And that the works that you have done would testify about who you really are. And God, we pray for the same thing to be true for us. That the works that we do in your name would would cause others who maybe don't understand who God is, but they'd cause They'd be caused to believe, Lord. So help encourage us today. Help remind us, Lord, what it means to be in your flock. And God, just lift us up so that we can see clearly who you are. We believe in you, Jesus. And we ask today that you'd strengthen us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Hey, I'm excited to see you guys here this afternoon uh, at 3 o'clock for Kiboko's installation. But in the meantime, go ahead and take a look at at this video. Marion Methodist Church is special to me uh, because I grew up here. Uh, I was baptized right here in this in this church 39 years ago. Uh, and simply put, this church is my home. Um, I've attended for a long time, and I've just made myself made this my spiritual home and my church family. I choose to give my gifts to Marion Methodist because of the power that this church has to reach out into the community. Uh, and region and the world to achieve God's mission uh, for us through a variety of different ways, uh, not the least of which being the vast array of ministries that we have here um, that my children take part in and and that I've taken part in for the last 39 years, uh, helping to achieve the the mission that, that God has put in front of all of us. My name is Jason Alt. And these are why I give my gifts to Marian Methodists. Will you please join me in worshiping God this way?
Will the ushers please come forward?